The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. God, it is a Wednesday. It is signing day. It's the first February. No, it's the first day of February and the first Wednesday. Yes. I worded that. Which makes it signing day. You know what I mean. It's the first Wednesday in February. That's what I was going to You know what? And it's February 1st. That's what threw me off. I'm not smart enough to do all that. I do know we're going to have George Corals on a little later. So, we're going to talk signing day, George Corals. We're going to talk uh, Southern Conference basketball. Again, we've got good feedback. People really want to know what we think about the league, so we are going to do that on the men's and women's side. And before we get to there, we got to talk ETSU has a game tonight on the men's side. Women don't play till Saturday, so this will be a little bit of a shorter segment before we jump into the Southern Conference talk and before we get into football. So for those that are just kind of football uh, meatheads that we've got, then we'll just give you that. If you're all around. Football, football, football. Football, 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 football. If you are more of the uh, I want – Basketball only, then we'll give you a basketball fix. If you're just a Southern Conference fan, you know what? We got that too. We aim to please on the Jane Key Show. I feel like the SoCon is the kind of conference where you're not just a SoCon fan. The rivalries are deep enough that you don't root for the conference. Like if Chattanooga had the chance to win an NCAA tournament game that would deliver us more money, I would still want them to lose. You know, that kind of thing. As last year I did. Yes. And I'm assuming that... Furman didn't pull for Wofford when they won the game. Yes. Or vice the versa. The Citadel yes. and VMI are not, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, good for them for winning. Just, you know, as long as we beat them. You I know, mean, it's, the, not, it's not that kind of conference. The blood feud of UNCG in, in West Carolina has got uh, – I don't, I, don't, I don't know who they feud with. UNCG and ETSU did have a good feud there for a while. Yes, they did. But, they uh, did. yeah, Western, does anybody, does anybody feud with Everybody Western? feuds with UNCG, though. That's fair. Especially when they had uh, – was it Marvin Harris? No, that was a wide receiver. What was uh Marvin Harris? <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not the right guy. No, I don't think it is. Marvin Smith. There it Marvin is. Marvin Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yes, Marvin Smith. Yes, especially yeah, him, yeah. especially when Marvin and uh, TJ Cromer will get in the uh, post game um, uh, handshake disagreements. I don't know what to call that, but uh, that happened a couple times. You know, <laughs> things happen. Things happen. But it also means you're playing high level games. You're playing for championships, games that matter. So, all right. That being said, let's talk a little bit. ETSU Wofford. Teams going in different directions, right? We thought we had ETSU figured out. They're going to win all the road games. Then they did not win in overtime at Mercer, even though once they got it to overtime, I thought for sure they were going to win. Then you get, okay, you get Chattanooga. They're reeling. You just beat them by double digits at their place one week ago. Wofford just beat them at their place. They're not going to have it figured out, and then they did, and ETSU drops that one. So I, uh, all the norms I thought I knew of this abnormal season – for ETSU, I'm still not quite sure what to think. I would say, and I've not looked, but I'm pretty sure the wise guys would probably put the Terriers as a favorite on the road. This is a game that wouldn't shock me that ETSU comes out and wins seven or eight, Mm -hmm. nine points. Because it makes no sense, Keith. That's what I'm going with. It makes no sense of everything that's going. The first go-around was an interesting matchup because ETSU was kind of reeling, lost a a lot of home games, went to Christmas break, the first league game, it's at Wofford, not really expecting a lot. And all of a sudden they come out, get a huge road win. Josh Taylor uh, in the game makes the defensive play of the game. Then afterwards, 
showed signs of that concussion. He's out for a few games, and then, and then everything started going kind of downhill on, on some health issues because then Brock Jansen was next to go down. But ETSU gutted out a win on the road, and then he went to VMI and won, and it was 2-0 start to league play, but it all got started with that game on December 29th at Wofford. Yeah, at Wofford, I mean, you, you flip it to the other side. Wofford was in the bit of a, a, a protracted shooting funk as a team. You know, Texas A&M, they were remember, 39.5%. They won that game, but they didn't shoot the ball super great. ETSU, 38.5%. UNCG, 40%. Mercer, 39%. And they were 500. And then you look at the Citadel, 53%. Sanford, 43%. They lost that game, but they bounced back VMI. They win 55%. They shot 46% against Western Carolina, 49% against Furman, and had a chance to win both of those games. Chattanooga, they won that game shooting 47, and they just beat Sanford shooting 53. So this team is shooting the ball a lot better now than they were at the end of calendar year 2022. Certainly, they have other plans when they come in here than being the first SOCON team to lose in Freedom Hall on the road this year. Um, you know, th this is a team that needed a lot of time to find its identity. We talked about that. You know, your coach steps away in the middle of the season. You're under an interim. That changes things, and it scrambles everything up. You have a freshman that comes in immediately and makes a huge impact. All right, guys have to figure out how the freshman fits into what they're trying to do. You know, do you have a two-man game with him and Mac? And I involve Messiah Jones. How do you how do you do all of that? So, I that's a that's a really challenging um, situation to be in. Well, it seems like they figured it out, offensively at least. I mean, this team has scored in the 80s in its last three games. They've only won two of those, but they're scoring in the 80s. That would make me anxious as somebody on the ETSU side. How do we slow this team down offensively, keep them in the low to mid-60s, and find a way to grind out a win at home? You couldn't even keep them in the 60s at their place, so this is going to be a really, really challenging ball game for ETSU to go out and win. And a different look team, right? They had everybody available. Josh Taylor... Uh, played in that game. Anthony Tipler hit four threes in that game. Yep. And so it's just a different different squads. Now, on the other side, Wofford's starting to get some monster games from two guys that you would expect. Pavletsky's, I think, had three or four 20-point affairs in a row. B.J. Mack is now starting to kind of play. And that was the the big thing when you looked at really the, the first game between the two teams. You know, B.J. Mack was one for five from three. He had a chance to give them the lead on a wide-open look. That I couldn't believe he got that wide open, and he makes probably nine out of ten times. Fortunately for ETSU, he didn't make that one. And then for Pavletsky, he was three of ten uh, yeah. from three, and real, five of like 16 or 17. I don't know if I can pull it up fast enough, but, I mean, it was not a banner day for five of 16. Mm -hmm. So he was five of 16. He struggled. You know, ETSU really got dominated at the line. They were just 9 of 13, where Wofford was 18 of 21. You know, I love the stat. If you make more free throws than your opponent has even attempted, generally speaking, you win going away. But kind of the counter to that was ETSU doubled up, made three-pointers yeah. against Wofford and did what Wofford usually does to teams, makes more threes and, and a lot more threes because they take a lot more threes. But they were one for the first 24 from the outside. And some of that was good defense. And Des Oliver, I thought, 
was honest Monday on the coach show and say, listen, we played really good defense, but they also had about six or seven looks that were just wide open that they missed, that they're just good shooters and missed. And you have to have some of that too. But that was in their own building. Everybody seems to come into Freedom Hall has no trouble shooting. I don't know if we need to change the lighting. Um, you go back to the dome, uh, something with depth. Uh, or Strobe light it when they're sh- – I don't know what we can do legally. But if, figure something out because teams have come in and shot particularly great um, in Freedom Hall. The other impressive thing for Furman – Furman – for Wofford in that game against DTSU on December 29th. How about this? They had four turnovers for the game. Four. So that will help you win games. Um now, it didn't. There are three things that you look at and you're going, man, they, you know, you just read the stat sheet and you're going, Wofford won. They had four turnovers, 18 of 21 from the line. Other team only attempted 13 free throws. They were plus nine points off turnovers. Yep. And you're thinking, those three categories, well, Wofford won by 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And then you look and you go, oof, they lost. And the only thing that really jumps out at you is that ETSU hit five more threes than they did and tried to help up some of the. The ground they lost on, on the free throws. I mean, points in the paint were similar. Second chance points were similar. ETSU did have 29 bench points. I mean, and this yeah. was the breakout game for Justice Smith, if you remember. 20 points on the road. He hadn't particularly been playing great on the road. He'd had some good games at home, but hadn't had a great game on the road. And he exploded for 20. He was not healthy last game up a respiratory infection he's had a few days get some fluids get off feet so uh fully expect him to be back healthy probably back in the starting lineup mm-hmm. i guess the biggest question is with no d'anthony tipler and the emergence of jamaris harrison and i'm assuming no d'anthony tipler i've not been to shoot around it um as we're recording this this morning um but harrison's been able to really step it up again his last three games as he's gotten more time he has proven you know, he had the, the double digits in both chat games, and he hit the two free throws the six seconds ago in which ETSU couldn't hit a free throw to Mercer to send it to overtime. So can Harrison kind of step up and take some of the points away that we saw from Tipler? Can Justice Smith, who had a great game and some good mismatches? And I'll mm-hmm. be curious to see how they try to guard Justice Smith um, as far as Wofford goes. But, you know, Jalen Haynes was just two of seven, eight points. I expect him to be better in this game. He had a three in that game, if you remember. But – I expect him to be better in this one. In the same token, I also expect Pavletsky and B.J. Mack to be better. And I know it's weird because they were like 17 and 14. Mack was 8 of 8 from the line, but he was 4 of 9 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3. I gave you Pavletsky's numbers earlier, not particularly a great day shooting for him. Right. So can Harrison and Smith – can Smith do what he did last time? Can Harrison do what he's been doing? And then how much does Mack and Pavletsky get on the board? And then here's the X factor – there's a guy, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Messiah Jones has dominated ETSU. He dominates nobody. Yep. Yep. Nobody. But you put him against the Bucs his last three games, 19, 18, and 17. He's, I mean, I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's about matchups. We've yep. talked about that. And he has a really good matchup for whatever reason against ETSU. And ETSU is going to need to win that matchup because I don't think they're going to hold Pavletsky to 5 of 16 shooting again. He's just shooting the ball too well right now. B.J. Mack was one of five from three. I don't feel like that's something that's going to happen too terribly often. But let's say that it does. Let's say that Mack has an off night. Pavletsky's a little bit better. But you bottle up Jones. Jalen Haynes and Jaden Seymour do a good job of not letting Jones get to the rim and and getting the, the interior points that he's able to get. 
Well, suddenly you give yourselves a much better chance of winning the basketball game. Yeah, you still have to contend with the shooters. You still have to get guys out on the perimeter and close them out. But you give yourselves a much better chance of winning tonight if you are able to contain a guy that has given you fits in the paint for the last year and a half. I, I don't know what to do because, you know, he's an undersized post, which I think ETSU fans appreciate because they've had their fair share of 6'4", of Six four and a half post players. You know, Gerald Fields, who's listed a very generous six seven, who's about six five. Kevin Tiggs was all of six four. I mean, you can go down to Lim Marty Story. You can go down a list of undersized four man post players that have had really strong inside games and could score. And Messiah fits the bill of of the buck. You know, greats. I, mean, I just named three. You know, really great ETSU basketball players that all led their teams to tournaments. So. He fits that mold, and he's tough. He gets rebounds. He is very skilled uh, around the rim. And, honestly, he would have had more points in that game, but he got in foul trouble. And so he had to sit uh, for some time during that contest. So I look for Messiah Jones to come out and try to do what he does. Mack and Pavletsky are both scoring at a high clip. Again, each coming off uh, back-to-back. Uh, uh, Pavletsky's three in a row, but Mack the last two games has had 20. So they've combined for 40 or more the last two. And, and probably, you know, if I go back and look at BJ's third game where Pavleski had 25 against Furman, he may have combined for 40 in that too. So you kind of know where those points are coming from. And let's say they're good for 40 right now. Yash, Messiah's averaging like 17 or 18 versus ETSU. That gets you to 58 for anybody else is scratched if you just go with what they've been doing. So the work will be cut out for ETSU to hold everybody else to 12 because I have a feeling those three guys who take the most shots – so it makes sense they score the most. But if those three, you know, all have big games and Messiah puts another 18-19 on the board plus the two guys go for 20, it's going to be tough, I think, for ETSU to to keep pace with that. Now, they have an off-shooting day, some other things. I think ETSU can, can – I mean, this is not a – listen, all the Southern Conference games are all winnable. There's not one game I'm looking at right now where I'm going, oof, I don't know how ETSU is going to – going to play or contend or whatever I mean I just I don't think the league is that dominant um they have three teams that are better than some of the others and we'll go over that in just a minute but I don't know that I'm looking at any team just think we'll talk about on the women's side too in a minute I don't see any team right now you feel really good about they're dominant they're going to run the table rest away no I mean there's a couple teams I could pitch that I feel like have better chances to win the tournament. I, I do feel like as far as winning the tournament, it's probably a three-horse race. Um, you know, UNCG's been really, really good defensively uh, for much of the last month and or really all of the season. That's something that's going to serve them well in a tournament setting, slow games down, be a little bit more deliberate in terms of pace, and you can grind out wins that way. We've seen mid-majors pull upsets in the dance before with a similar formula. I mean, look at Loyola. That's how Loyola got to the Final Four, is they slowed games down. They were winning games in low to mid-60s. I think they even won a game in the high 50s in the tournament. Uh, you know, Virginia's had, obviously, enormous success doing the same thing as a high major program. I, I look at UNCG as a team that can do that. Certainly, you look at the star power of Sanford and Furman, so you cannot count them out of any game. And, and I think those three teams have established themselves as a cut above the rest of the Southern Conference. Um, could something chaotic happen? Sure. I mean, chaotic things always happen at mid-major conference tournaments. But for me, I look at those three as the three that warrant the most serious consideration as 
representatives of the SOCON in the NCAA men's basketball tournament because I trust those three teams the most. I don't trust them by default or implicitly, but uh, you know, it's it's not to the point where I was like, oh, they're going to run the table. Right? They're going to lose games. But I trust them to come up with those clutch plays in the moment in a big situation where they need a bucket to win. I think those teams have the players to go get the bucket to win a game where I do not know for sure that other teams in the SOCON have that same kind of just out-of-the-box star power that Samford and Furman possess or the defensive consistency of, of the Spartans. Seems like a good time transition to SOCON talk. I just want to throw one more thing out there okay. because I just added it up. Messiah Jones in his career versus ETSU from the floor is 29 of 39, 74%. Wow. Wow. That's wild. That's pretty good. It's season high. You're going to be shocked. ETSU 17. Got some old work. So come, John. Do some math for me. Okay, there's my point. Uh, I I had one for you. Oh, Uh, okay. uh, Just a little nugget. Since we're talking about postseason implications, uh, Brian Fisher of uh, Fox Sports uh, and D1Ticker.com says the NCAA is targeting the 2024-25 season when it comes to implementing any tournament expansion to 25% of Division I, which is what the Transformation Committee recommended. Final decision will come from the individual sports committees and is expected in January of 2024. So we will know if the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments will be expanding and by how much next about a year from now. I guess the question is, did you say it would be for the 24-25 year? It would be for the 24-25 season, but the decision is would expected be in January of for January of 24 so that they can begin preparing for the tournament next year. All right, basically a year from now we'll know what the fate is. Give yes, or take. that lines up with the end of the NCAA's um, kind of umbrella TV contract with ESPN. Yeah, and the big fighting, just to backtrack for a second, the big fight in doing that and uh, some other things is to try to basically bid out other championships. So basically how it works right now is the take college football out of it. That's a whole separate deal. FBS but football is a whole different beast. That, that's yeah. a whole different thing. But the NCAA tournament is bid out, and then everything else is all in one umbrella, which ESPN basically owns. All the, you know, you're talking about the FCSs, you're talking about yeah. uh, FCS, softball, baseball, volleyball, soccer, volleyball, all of it. Lacrosse. Is one deal. And women's basketball, which is yep. something that the NCAA got hammered on in that gender equity report from uh, August of 21. Well, and I think that the one thing that they'll also do is they're, they're talking about basically do they take and I think they will, just because what you said, they'll take women's basketball out. And I think they'll take baseball. Yes. And they may look at softball because that has been an emerging... Volleyball has two. Yeah. Volleyball's been a big ratings draw. Those those tournaments, I think, would be ones that you'd look at possibly selling on their own and seeing what they generate. The other thing I think what they may do is 
obviously start with the women's basketball, then go baseball, then softball, and see how if, if there are numbers generated, I think then they'll throw single sports out there again. Mm-hmm. And then they got to do that quickly because then if things aren't going, then they're going to have to group the package together. Right, right, right. Uh, the yeah. other element of that is if you get other sports that have big postseason payouts to like big postseason TV contracts, how does that postseason payout get distributed to the membership? Do we see a women's basketball tournament unit like what you see for the men's tournament? Do we see a baseball tournament unit where it makes sense, it behooves schools now, to invest more and more competitively in other sports? And there are ways that you can generate revenue off postseason success in another sport. I think, for instance, baseball would be greatly beneficial to other leagues in the South. Like the Southland, I think the SoCon to a point, and the Sunbelt would benefit enormously from a baseball tournament unit. I think a, a conference like the Summit League would benefit immensely from a women's basketball tournament unit because that's a mid-major league that has very frequently found itself with multiple bids to the NCAA women's basketball tournament. But you don't get anything out of it yet. I think that's something that is subject to change. And that and how that changes the college sports landscape I think will be really, really fascinating to watch. But... Uh, a, de- a decision on postseason expansion, either yay or nay, expected uh, in January of 2024. Personally, I'm all for it with the caveat that you have to be above 500 to qualify as an at-large. Because well, that I, would eliminate your 15 and 17 Oklahoma states. I still refuse to believe that this is set up to help the mid-majors. And that's how everyone is selling it. Well, we could get more of those bubble at-large teams. No, it's a way to get... It would create, I think I did the math on this, and the the leagues that would benefit the most are the A-10 and the SEC. So the A-10 obviously benefits from that immensely. The Missouri Valley, I think, would have gotten two more teams in. So that would help them out a lot as well. Those are kind of your true mid-majors. And then your one-bid leagues, uh, I think it was like six or seven, would get an additional bid. Not To to ask a little bit about your research, did you do like just the first four out and the seeds, or did you... How did you do that? So I went through the net... And I controlled for teams above 500. So not even like 16 and 16, but you had to be. Okay, so you use logic. Yes. So that's why I don't believe what you just said is going to happen. Yes. But it's the most efficient means of determining that, like, just for for the sake of a thought exercise, it was the most efficient means of determining the teams that would get in. Totally agree. But the A-10, I think, is the one league that is, you know, people tell me that I like to pound the table a lot. Well, uh, I think the A-10 is pounding the table for tournament expansion. And I, there are a few. I think the overarching of would there be two to three leagues that could get an extra bid or two? Yes. This overarching 10 more leagues are going to get more teams in is a farce. And I just I don't think 10 more leagues are going to get another team in. I think taking the Power Five, you take the Big East out. A-10 is one that generally has multi-teams in to begin with anyways. But the one-bid leagues – my guess, and last year there was probably 18 one-bid leagues, my guess is two of the 18 will get an extra team in. All the other feaster, all the other bubble power fives we, are We still don't know the mechanisms by which teams will be Humans allocated. are picking, but the humans are picking. Yes. Even if they do the net, there are human beings that are picking. I think we, should, I think we should all do what college hockey does and go to the pairwise 
and let that decide it and then let the human committee seed them, but the pairwise decides the teams that get in. Again, you use logic. You can't use logic. They use it. They literally use it in an NCAA Division One sport. They do, but they don't do it where there's a billion dollar contract and schools are fighting for those dollars. That would be the only other comeback I got. Okay. I mean, I like, listen. I'm not. I'm not downplaying. I. I you do, did the. I do I, we have a, done in the a, ma- in a banner year. I think the SoCon would be a multi bid league. Just like I mean, you think about. Okay, like that right. a couple UNC, years ago where UNCG. Right, they were the top. They were the last team out. They were right. top seed in IT. You would think you would in. think that get in. Correct, I agree. Yeah, you know, if you are where they get to the last four, because that's all you really know. Who are the last four out, and they're guaranteed seeds in NIT. Those are going to be automatically in. After that, they can play the shell game, and then I think again, I, I you know, if you had a the ETSU thirty and four team was still talked about if they lost. To Wofford in the title game that people still weren't sure that team would have gotten in yes. I think they would have gotten in I don't think they'd argue the UNCG is a great example because they would have gotten in because they were the last team out and they, if they're seeding they that I really think is the big organization the big uh, uh, talking point here is that the mid-majors that have those prohibitive win totals that have had a lot of success in non-conference play have dominated their conference and then maybe losing the conference tournament in the semifinal or the championship game those teams are getting in where they wouldn't get in before I think it becomes a lot harder to exclude those teams if you're expanding to 96. Now, if you're expanding to 72, say, instead, well, that's a little bit different. But uh, I think if you're going to go all the way up to 25% of Division One, you're looking at a 96-team field at that point. And even still, you're telling seven, you're telling three-fourths of the teams in the country you're not good enough to play for a national championship. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expand the tournament to 96. Uh, anyway... So I like March talk. Madness. Yeah. I mean, we, we could do that. So here's my thought for SoCon John, because he's got more time than I do. And, and I say that. <laughs> he's probably busy. All right, SoCon, here you go, buddy. You, you always respond to all of our uh, SoCon talk. I want to know, what is the foul count? Last several years, maybe, I don't know, five, ten years, because um, it's easy to track. When they played in the regular season, whoever played in the title game, what were the combined foul count average of the regular season versus what happened in the championship game? The reason I say that, because when you get to conference tournament times, you're not getting what we call the Saturday officials. And if you're a SoCon fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a mid-major fan, you know what I'm talking about. You get some high-level officials, they referee at as high level. They usually let players decide more. It's a bit more a bloodbath. You get away with some more holdings and impeding progress and shoving a guy out of the way to get a rebound, right? And so when that happens, because that's how the NCAA tournament is going to be called as well, when you do that, UNCG looks a lot better in those situations, mm-hmm. then you get a Saturday game. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody's beating UNCG. I'm not uh, – because it was an impressive win for Furman. So this isn't me randomly taking a shot at who's ever beaten UNCG, um, Sanford and Furman, right, is beating them on the road, I believe. UNCG lost both those home games. So I, I'm saying I bet when you look in there, the average – I could be shocked. But normally I bet those are lower. So that helps defensive-oriented teams. That's why I think – UNCG is a serious contender. Furman's playing as good as anybody right now. If they can continue, because there's the three-way tie, right? Sanford, you got Furman, you got UNCG. Yep. We've talked a little bit, um, and Keith went a little bit more detail right before we hit the bumper. If you want to back it up before the bumper about a minute or two and listen to what Keith had to say. But basically he's saying what everyone's thinking, right? It's a three-horse race right now. Furman, Sanford, UNCG. UNCG, can they score enough? But the defense in this conference tournament, Bigger deal. So can they help their seeding? Because right now, 
If you get the one seed, I mean, you have to think you're in much more catbird seat than the two or three. And for Furman, they're rocking and rolling right now, playing as good as anybody in the league. Uh, maybe as far as mid-majors go, playing as good as anybody there. And then for Sanford, here's the curious question. Yep. Quez Glover comes back. And Coach Oliver has said this for a while now. Hey, when he comes back, let's see if they're still running as efficiently as they were before and they're still rocking and rolling. Well, they're 8-0 without him, and they're 0-2 when he's back in the lineup. Uh-oh. So, chemistry, some other thing. Now, do I think Sanford's like going to go in his tailspin because of Quiggle Up? No, they'll figure it out. But they've lost a few games. They've dropped back down to the field, and now the seeding, and that's where I'm getting at – can Sanford figure it out sooner than later? Because if they don't, you know, they drop to a three seed. Yep. And then you play, you know, a little better team. And, of course, it's hard to tell right now. We'll go over the standings in a second with everybody jumbled up. Who is the six, yep. you know, compared to who played the 7-10 game, right? Yep. If you're Furman or UNCG and you're the two seed and you get the seven seed off there and then, you know, you get a chance to take on Sanford who played a fresh team the day before or that hadn't played yet, interesting. But to underscore my point about the Spartans, so every, I think everybody knows at this point, they're a really good defensive team. Uh, scoring defense, 63.5 points per game allowed. Most in the country. Or I'm sorry, uh, uh, fewest in the conference. Fewest in the conference, not most in the country. Fewest in the conference. Um, second is Mercer, a full five points back. ETSU is five points per game back of UNCG on scoring defense. 68 points a game. Um, field goal percentage defense. UNCG, 40%. 40%. Chattanooga, second at 42.2. So not only is UNCG the best defensive team in the SOCON, they are the best defensive team by a lot in the SOCON. They are the best team on the perimeter. They are the best team on the interior. They are the best team defensively overall and they have an ability to slow you down, to frustrate you, and just just bog the game down to such a degree that you have no hope of, if you're a team like Wofford, you, have, you don't really have a whole lot of hope of scoring the kind of points that you need to score to win that game because UNCG is all over you from the jump. And this team is just, this team is built to be good enough to win 12, 13, maybe 14 games in conference play and then win the tournament. That's the way that this team has been constructed and the way that this team plays. They are that kind of basketball team. And I am a believer that even if UNCG were to lose a couple of games here in early February, you absolutely cannot rule them out based on the way they play basketball when it comes time to go to Asheville. I think I agree. I, I mean, right now the the biggest que- I mean, it's not the biggest question who the the three are. It's not the biggest question, you know. Which teams do we think right now? Because right now, judging off what we tell, there's only three teams I think legitimately people. Now, there's fan, you might be a fan of another school. We think, hey, well, what if this guy or that guy? We get hot. Yeah, sure, sure. And we'll talk about that every Wednesday. We're going to come out. We'll come out. And we're, we've been honest about this. I was down on Furman 
But I wasn't ready to bury them because I said, let me see what they do this week. They get Sanford, they get UNCG. They win those two games, depending on how they win them. Changes the narrative. Sanford ended up losing two games. Now, all of a sudden, Wofford, who was three and five, have won two in a row. They've scored over 80 the last couple games we talked about earlier. They're sitting there with West Carolina. I have still no idea what to do with West Carolina. I have – I've watched – I've watched. I know what they are as far as what they're trying to do offensively they're and defensively. A roller coaster. It, yeah. It's just shots made wins. Shots don't make. Boy, they look bad. I mean, it, it's as it's about as simplistic as that. And I know somebody's saying, "Well, isn't that basketball? If you make more shots, you win." Uh, yes, but for them, it truly is. There, there's not. They've not won any other way. Correct. Than hitting shots. So, Correct. and they're sitting there at five and five, and then everybody else is is, is in a schmoz here. Uh, you know, five and five, four and six with. Chattanooga, Mercer, Citadel, ETSU, and then poor VMI. And VMI gave Western fits at home. Now, give Western credit, they won on the road. And VMI, I still think, is going to get somebody. I don't know where that's going to go. So the next couple weeks, as we look at right now the schedule, every game, obviously, you get the back half. Everybody's going to play eight games left. For the most part, most teams have four home games, four road games. I think there's two teams that have Mm -hmm. three and five or five and three, depending on how that works out. But you're looking at today's matchups. I mean, Chattanooga's at Furman. If Chattanooga, have they figured it out without Jake Stevens? Um, Chat with Jake Stevens, probably obviously a better matchup with Furman just because of how Furman wants to run some things and what they want to do. Furman right now is, is you know, they're trying to outscore people and they're, they're scoring at a high clip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 96 the other day, 88 or whatever it was. The other, I mean, they're, they're just scoring. Um so that'll be interesting if Chattanooga can make a little bit of room. Wofford, one of the hotter teams besides Furman, can they continue to score 80 at ETSU? Sanford, Western Carolina, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it is not out of the realm that Western Carolina hits enough threes to win that game and to win that dribbling it out, not having to hit a you know last second shot or something. For Sanford, what do we do with them? I, I'll be curious. This is a big week for Sanford for me. Um, uh, you know, they get Western, they get ETSU. On paper, those are two winnable games, right? Because they, they play at Western, probably still better than Western. They're obviously better than ETSU as well. So we'd have to look and see are they going to be able to figure it out? For Western Carolina, they got Sanford, they got Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Everybody's got big weeks. Chattanooga's at Furman, then Chattanooga's at Western Carolina. They played the two Purples back to back. Wofford, after ETSU's got Furman, who just throttled them. And now they got to go to Timmins Arena. Or are they playing in downtown? No, they're playing in downtown arena. The Bon Secure Wellness Center. Um, <laughs> so, I have no idea why Furman does that, too. I believe Wofford fans outdraw Furman fans, and it makes no sense why they do that. But that's for Furman to decide, not me. But for Wofford, I mean, they could make a statement with two road wins. Um, I mean, obviously ETSU, then you knock off Sanford, who's the hottest team, and all of a sudden Wofford's won four in a row, and nobody's won more in a row than they have. Mercer, they got UNCG at home. I, I don't know who's going to play for Mercer. They were able to gut out a win at the Citadel, and then Mercer uh, gets VMI at home, which should, all intents and purposes, be a win as well. Um, you know, VMI's at Citadel. That's maybe their last – chance to get a road win I, I don't know I still think they're going to get one but that's sort of the week that is and, and there's can, a, a lot to go over there and yes can we can we talk about the Citadel you can I want to talk about the Citadel okay so I, I this this is a this is a roller this is a, a, not even a roller coaster it's just a, it's a journey of multiple levels and I want you to go on this journey with me so Monday night uh, the Citadel played Chicago State 
and okay. which uh, which, which is, is weird, which is weird yeah. in, on its own, right? It's weird on its own that the Citadel would play a non-conference game at the tail end of January, but it gets better. So Citadel played Chicago State on Monday night, which is weird, right? Playing a non-conference game late January on a Monday. Um, you can imagine it was not the, the most raucous atmosphere that the Bulldogs have ever had in, in Charleston. So they play Chicago State. They're leading by one with time winding down. Chicago State has the ball and a chance at the win. They hit a buzzer beater with 0.3 seconds remaining to win 76-75. to 75. Now, it's already hilarious that Chicago State beats the Citadel. They beat the Citadel on a buzzer beater in Charleston. It gets better. The player who hit the shot was former Citadel Bulldog Brent Davis. Oh, boy. Over two defenders. It was not a great-looking jump shot, but he got it in high off the glass. He got it to go with .3 seconds left to beat the Citadel in Charleston, and it gets better after that. A cadet from the student section stormed the court to celebrate with Chicago State. After the game was over. Wait a minute. So, it was last second shot. Yes. Goes in. Former Citadel player. And it was time on the clock. So, it wasn't one of those where maybe he got confused on if the shot counted, didn't count. He's clearly celebrating with Chicago State. That's what you're saying. Yes. He okay. is very clearly. He goes over into the I'm pile. Trying to set the scene for me. With Chicago State um, to celebrate. It gets better. From there. Okay. The player or the, the individual that goes into the pile, the cadet that goes into the pile and celebrates with Chicago State is Hassan Black. <laughs> Hassan Black, as you may remember, I do, was a second team all SOCON linebacker in the yes. fall and the Bulldogs' leading tackler. He was roommates with Brent Davis once upon a time. Ah. Uh, it is confirmed, by the way, by Hassan Black that Hassan Black was the one that stormed the court to celebrate with Chicago State on Monday night after they lost on a buzzer beater at the hands of their former player at home to Chicago State. So there's a lot of pride in the Citadel. I don't know if you know that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of alumni, a lot of everything, very prideful, very... Yes. Um, the camaraderie, everything they go through on a daily basis, you know, this is a tough one because I get the personal connection. That was his roommate, their buddies, their boys, you know, spent a lot of time, a lot of nights, so, yeah. rolling and folding yeah. clothes and refolding the, the quote, clothes. The quote from Hassan Black was, I was too happy for my brother just goes to show how special the Citadel is and the relationships that you build. Obviously, saying the the save. He's going for the save. The relationships <laughs> because he worked in the beyond. word citadel. Right, right. right. If he's just like, well, the relationship, you know, with 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 people you meet or whatever. But he made sure to put the citadel was their connection. Yes. But if you're a player, basketball player on the citadel, even even a football player, how do you feel about <laughs> Black running out onto the court because? You know, Jalen Adams, uh, the quarterback transfer, big transfer to Norfolk State, didn't transfer anywhere in there. But right. if Norfolk State went back and played and he scores a game-winning touchdown and somebody runs out there that was a basketball player that they were roommates 
How do you think how some blacks feeling about that? That would be my comeback. I'd be. I get it. I do get yeah. it. I think you can high five and you can celebrate. But you stormed, got in the pile, jumping up and down with everybody else. Like yes. that's that's where I draw. He the line. is on the like he's visibly on the floor, running in from the core of cadets, and celebrates with the visiting team. That's that, that's the optics of that are just fascinating. But yes, more Citadel shenanigans that you will only find on the Jay and Keith show. Fourth fail. Yeah, that, that's worth all four of them. That's worth all four of them. Fourth fail. Not a fan of uh, that. But since we're talking football. Yes. Football, football, football. Football, football, football. You want me to open the door and let George Quarles in? Yeah, let's do Let it. him in. Yes. All right, as we promised, football, football, football. 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 It's football. Football. Football, football, football. You know what we like? We like football. We love football. You know who likes football more than me and you? Somebody that coaches football for their job. Hold on, I'm rocking out. Yes, someone who definitely job is dependent on coaching football. Yes, the, yeah, the, you, you really love that wah-wah pedal. I don't know why. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it's really bad. bad. It's Listen, really bad. You have a job in the offseason to find new bump music. <laughs> That's your job. I've had the same bump music for, uh, I don't know, we, I've been podcasting five years now, give or take. So yes, uh, the, the, there, there are some offseason projects that I will be undertaking, and we will make this sound like a real show. Okay, now let's stop talking about it. We're going to Pinocchio yeah. it. We're going to make it a real boy. Uh, now now let's talk to the head football coach at ETSU, George Corals, and we're going to talk to him uh, back-to-back days. We're going to talk to him about some staffing, uh, some new changes, new coaches, uh, just the way it is in coaching world, especially football. So many coaches, there's turnovers, so we'll talk about that. But we're going to talk about recruiting day, right? That's the biggest thing. Today is Wednesday, and we know what all happened in December. We covered that. But today, new players, new faces, new names. I'd like to start there. And if nothing else, I'm just going to go in the order that they signed uh, and just go down that route because at 836, the first one came in. And from a town that we're familiar with, and especially when you play uh, on the defensive side of the ball, whether it's a DN, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, Buck fans are very partial to the Ohio kids. And we got one from Cincinnati, Ohio, and Blake Howard. Yeah, Blake Howard, uh, you know, not surprised he was the first one. He was here last weekend, and uh, you you could tell how excited he was. Uh, he's, a, you know, probably 6'2", 210, 215 kid that plays with a, a motor. Um, if you watch him on huddle, you can go watch him, check him out, check out his highlights. Uh, bends well, has a good pass rusher, you know, Pass rushing and getting some length, I think, was one of our big, uh, you know, needs going into this recruiting season. And, you know, we tried to get some guys that can get to the quarterback. And if you watch uh, Blake on film, you know, he does a great job of doing that. Now, like I said, and he's a young guy. He, we got a couple of these guys that are young. When I say young, they don't turn 18 till probably they when they get here in camp. Um, so you just think those guys are going to grow and develop him more. And, you know, Blake, uh, his dad played at Purdue, you know, and you can tell dad's a big guy. So I think Blake's going to grow a little bit more. Uh, so, But he's a guy we're excited about. And like you said, from Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was good to us, you know, at this signing period. Well, and, and one thing I like is he's already coming in at 225, and you're talking about he's not even 18 yet. Right. So clearly a guy – that can, you know, length maybe gets into more taller. That's great. But 
30, 40 pounds. And certainly if you're projecting him as a defensive end, uh, stand-up end, whatever he's going to play for you, certainly uh, uh, adding just a few extra pounds will help. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he played a good program in, at Princeton High School up in uh, in that Cincinnati area. And like you said, just – I just think tons of upside. You know, the he has not scratched the surface. You can tell he's not shaving yet, you know, those sort of things. So, I just think he's a guy that's going to mature, going to get bigger, stronger. And like I said, he does some things naturally, you know, as far as bending. Uh, just he can get under blocks, uh, rushing the passer that, that we need. You know, last year, you know, we didn't produce a lot of sacks from, you know, just our normal pass rush. We got it from – bringing pressure you want to be able to get some of those without having to bring everybody and putting those guys in the back end and you know in peril let's go to the second guy uh, 857 from macaulay uh, uh right there in chattanooga the province school uh, andre delanos delanois delanois oh i gotta put yeah. a little delanois yeah. dre delanois uh dre i don't see that's even better dre yeah. delanois yes from Canada. He's Canadian. Uh, yeah, he's uh, from Montreal area, um, you know, but played the last two years at Macaulay. And, you know, that's two years in a row we've gotten Canadian players from Macaulay. And, uh, you know, Xavier Giardets, you know, I'm learning a little French. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm having to learn that. And uh, But Dre, great get. Uh, he's 6'1", 215 or so, very physical. Um, you know, he's an outside backer. You know, whether he's field or boundary, another guy that you think could play quite a few places, um, you know. And like I said, who knows? He may end up, you know, playing inside sometime. But uh, just a good football player, very physical. When he walks in the room, you know, we don't have many that look like him. He's just one of those good-looking guys. And he's, um, you know, just very good kid, hard worker, Um you know, had some offers. You know, I think he had uh, some Mac stuff early going on and, you know, didn't go there and came on his visit and loved it and committed on the visit. I like the athleticism because he played wide receiver yes. uh, and could make plays offensively and then certainly he jumped off the tape when you look at the defensive highlights. Absolutely. And physical, you know, and like I said, that's what – obviously Coach Taylor loves those guys that can tackle and they'll hit and – and he's a pretty good receiver, too. You know, we didn't recruit him that way, and I don't see that happening. But you like guys with some versatility that can play different places. And I think Dre, you know, definitely going to be a defensive player for us, but I think he could play in several different spots. I, I, traditionally, the farther you are away from the ball, the easier it is to play earlier because you don't have to spend that much time in the weight room. That's been changing with linebackers a lot, and I know for you it's kind of been out of necessity at times. Sure. Where you have to play a guy that's 6'2", but he's 215, you'd like to have that guy be 235. Do you see some young guys here that you know are physically at a position where you say, this is good enough for us to get you on the football field? Early? No question. And I think, you know, like I said, he's got to come do it, but Dre's one of those guys. Yeah. You know, Ray Coney that we signed in that first period, I think they're very similar type players. They're very physical. You know, they run well. Uh, they're mature. And, you know, sometimes you're waiting on guys to, you know, put on 10 pounds or so. I don't think you're going to have to wait on these quite as long. And, you know, clearly there's an adjustment period, but I don't think it's going to be because, hey, he needs to get bigger or stronger. Mm-hmm. You talk about learning a little bit of French here, recruiting French-Canadian <laughs> players. You're also hitting up Louisiana. 
And, uh, I mean, the Tory Lambert, the numbers in the playoffs for him made me say sacre bleu. I mean, 1,000 yards and 12 TDs just in, in the, the postseason. Um, how, did you, how did you identify him as a player that would be – an option for ETSU and where ETSU is an option for him. Sure. Uh, you know, we recruited Brendan LeBlanc yes. that we signed in the first signing period, and they were teammates. And, you know, we got word that, you know, another school had dropped uh, Tory, you know, and that he was out there. Uh, Coach Downs actually had kind of come in contact somehow with his father. And so we hit him up and offered him and got him up here for a visit. He commits, you know, on the visit. And, you know, and that's a spot, you know, we want to use, obviously. And, you know, we've got some good players there. We brought in another one in that first, uh, you know, a midterm guy that, that's here on uh, campus, Zach Borish. Uh, but I just don't think you can have too many good running backs. And toward, that was not a spot necessarily we were looking at, but he was one of those too good to turn down right. kind of guys. And, uh, you know, and he's one – that's really good football down there. Um, you know, that's there's all kinds of power five guys in that New Orleans area and that he's playing against. And you watch his tape. You know, he he's pretty good. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you know, least. and I don't want to put undue pressure on him. You know, he's still got to come in here and do it. And right, uh, right. but but like I said, he's a good looking player, sharp kid, good student, all the things you're looking for. I feel like in the transfer portal world. So much of the talk of like recruiting pipelines to certain metros has kind of been put on the back burner. But I think some places love to have a pipeline into Tampa. ETSU has one into Cincinnati. Can New Orleans be a place that you can go now and build some relationships and get some guys? Sure, you know, and, and Daryl Day obviously had connections down there, you know, and and since Daryl has you know gotten out, but uh, you know, but I do think. Once you get a relationship with those coaches a little bit, and, and Brendan LeBlanc's dad is the offense coordinator at Brother Martin, you know, I just think it helps. And if if they can come up here and have a good experience, there you go. Other guys will want to come, you know, because some of those guys, they want to leave New Orleans, you know, as much as we're all trying to go to New Orleans possibly. <laughs> I think some of them are trying to get out. And, uh, you know, I think they enjoyed the mountains, enjoyed just a different uh, scenery, you know, and then it at the end of the day, those guys, it's all about can I play? You know, can I get on the field? And hopefully they can. Well, another area ETSU clearly was trying to address secondary. You got two in the early signing period, the transfer from Ohio, uh, Jamie Collier. Then you got the, the freshman DB coming in, Robert McNeil out of Bowden, Georgia. Added two more, one of them highly recruited, Khalil Anderson that starred at Pittsburgh. You know, if you believe in the star system and all that, he was a four star out of Atlanta. 5'10", 185, and then uh, just uh, recently from Somerville, uh, South, South Carolina, Carolina, I know you've made a couple trips down there to see him because he's a basketball guy too, which I like, 6'2", 165, and Mike Jenkins. Yeah, you know, Khalil, you know, Khalil's on campus right now working out with us, and, and you can see why he was highly recruited out of high school and, you know, and, you know, left pit, um, like I said, great kid. Hard worker, uh, moves extremely well, you know, got some length, you know, so he's not a, a short guy, and I don't know what it has him listed as, but but he's a tall 5'10", 5'11", if that makes sense. He's long-armed, uh, like I said, he just moves well, and then I think kind of a diamond in the rough, Mike Jenkins, uh, watched him play ball, you know, basketball, and you can just tell how athletic he is. Another one, he's 6'2". Um, played in the Shrine Bowl, which is their, you know, state big all-star game, North Carolina versus South Carolina. He played on it, and 
you know, and he's another one. He won't turn 18 until I think it's August 29th or something mm-hmm. like that. So later on, he'll be in school before he turns 18. Um, you know, super competitive. You know, watched him in the lo- the warm up line. You know, just dunking it however you wanted to. And you know, he plays on a really good basketball team as well. And like I said, extremely athletic, very competitive, uh, great mom and dad. You know, so like I said, it's excited about him. He's one of those guys you want in your program. And and you know, we got to be better back there. You know, that's a spot last year. You know, where we obviously took some losses. You lose. Elijah Huzzy, you know, we lose Mike Price, you know, so you're, you know, a little thinner back there. So it was important for us to address that. In the last two years, they've lost, you know, really five starters because if you talk about the nickelback from a couple years ago and Karan DeLentz and Tyree Robinson, all five from two years ago that were on that championship team, all gone. So there's just a lot of new names, new faces. Yeah. Uh, Defensive line, I want to touch on this and we'll we'll flip to the the O line and then maybe. a couple more Cincinnati kids we'll get to. But Jalen George was a kid that signed last year, but uh, enrolled right now working uh, defensive lineman, expected to be a lot of help there. As you know, that's another – beside cornerback, maybe D-line, inside linebacker the, on the defensive side, the three biggest areas. Sure. Jalen George, he's on campus right now, um, working extremely hard. You know, he's up to right at 260 right now. I think when we signed him a year ago, I think he was 235 or so, you know, so he was uh, – he's matured quite a bit physically, you know, 6'1", uh, hard worker, very competitive, you know, when we're doing our running out there, you know, he's one of those guys that he wants to be first in everything we're doing, which I love. Um, you can tell he's a little bit of a natural leader. He played on a state championship team at Collins Hill. You know, he's used to winning, which obviously we want guys in our program that like to win and know how to win. And uh, so, like I said, he's going to be a great addition. Let's talk about um, uh, before we get, to, I guess, the offensive line because we got a couple uh, defensive guys still to talk about. Uh, talk about the last two signees, uh, both Cincinnati from same high school. Yeah, Ike McConnell and Rick Woolens. You know, Ike, extremely athletic, uh, very versatile guy. He's a six-three, two-ten kid that I think could play lots of different places you know he played offense defense all over the field um at withrow high school in cincinnati and like i said i just think what sticks out most about him is his versatility he rushes the passer he's got the link that we're trying to get in our program and like i said just really excited about him and then his teammate rick woolens uh you know he's a 6'1 250 kid um you know, had some stuff early on athletically, but, you know, another guy that probably be more of an inside guy, but, you know, very um, destructive, I guess. You know, he's one of those guys that, you know, he uh, is disruptive. He, um, you know, make, moves the uh, offensive line back, you know, makes some plays. And yeah, I just think he'll be a good addition. Another guy that's used to winning. Uh, it's been come from a good program. Um, you know, it's like I said, it was a good day for ETSU, I think, in that recruiting. You know, it's and sometimes recruiting, you don't know about your signing class until a few years down the road. And, you know, but we're at the point right now, you know, with a few spots, we need guys that can come in and play, you know, and, and hopefully some of these will be able to come in here and play and you don't have to redshirt them. 
And the last one, I guess, we need to talk about flipping to the uh, offensive line and um, a kid that actually I think signed early but didn't announce until uh, today, the February sign appeared from Duluth, Georgia, and that's um, uh, Maida Jones. Yeah, Maida Jones, a guy that we were really surprised that, that he was available. You know, he's 6'1", 290. Uh, you watch his tape, uh, you know, he's a little bit of that – you know, road grader type, you know, good run blocker. Um, I think we'll just continue to get better. He's probably a guard center. I don't think he has quite the length that you'd want outside. But but inside, he's a very physical guy, very athletic. Um, like I said, I was surprised that he was available. And, and he wrestled too, right? He so wrestles, the, yeah. The leverage factor, I think. Absolutely. And the, the competitive part. You know, guys that wrestle, you know, they're – you know, it's hard. You know, you got to compete at that. You can't hide during that. And that's one of those things you just want guys that are really competitive in your program. Yeah, I mean, you, you have somebody that used to spar with an MMA women's champion in your running backs room now with uh, – How about Morris. that? So, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've got some real competitors in there. And you say, surprise, this guy's available. You know, this guy was too good to pass up. I hear that a lot. Uh, I mean, it kind of sounds like an NFL draft, right? It's like, sure. we're really surprised this guy was – this guy's way higher on our board. Um Teams at higher levels are starting to recruit directly out of the transfer portal now instead of using it to just fill holes. Do you think that's opened some doors for ETSU to get on some high school kids that maybe five, six years ago weren't available to us? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. You know, like last year we were able to sign like Amir Dendy. You know, and he's one that I think he had Ole Miss early on, had Utah, you know, and had some stuff, and it kind of dried up because just what you're saying, you know, big schools, they're – not recruiting high schools like they used to. They're taking them out of the portal, and and you hope there's a little bit of a trickle-down effect to schools like us, you know, where those guys will fall to us. And I do think there's fewer spots available for those bigger schools. And, you know, and there's a few guys on here that, you know, like Tory Lambert, he, you know, he had some bigger stuff. Uh, Dre Delanois had some stuff, obviously – you know, we we talked about uh, Khalil. You know, who yeah, transferred. And, and Ray was uh, Coney was another. Yeah, guy Ray right Coney's on, on another one. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, you know, it like I said, we still got to get them here. They got to be productive. All those things, and then you know, at some point, you know, we're going to have to get in the the NIL game. You know, a little bit because teams in our conference are starting to do that a little bit. And you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't sound like much, but. You give a kid a thousand dollars that they can spend, you know, for their own whatever, that can make the difference, you know. And you just giving yourself that that chance to be competitive in recruiting. Let's talk about, um, you know, done with this class. Obviously, things change because when you go through spring ball, there's another war of attrition. It just there always is. Sure, you know, where the guys thought they're going to have a chance to get up the depth chart, where they don't. Sometimes it's as simple as academics. We sure. are not, but it's just the reality of it, especially when you get, you know, 100-plus guys, right? Yep. It's just the reality. That being said, what are a couple of areas, if you had your druthers, that you would still give an opportunity in the spring to yep. maybe look at positions to bring in? No doubt, and, you know, and I wrote them down here for you. You know, it's going to be – Knew it was coming, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, because we're sitting there talking about it too. You know, I still think we got to find a linebacker or two, you know, losing – you know, got to the portal last year, and we got another one who's going to probably have some surgery this spring. So you're looking at two scholarship linebackers to go through spring ball right now. So we'll probably uh, take one or two in the spring, um, you know, out of that spring portal period just to 
to get an older guy or two that's played. And then obviously O-line, you know, we got to get some uh, length outside and just a little bit more depth for sure. And then we're still going to hunt a quarterback. You know, I just think uh, even though Tyler Rydell is back, you know, he came back to us, which we're thrilled and excited about, you know, and, and he knows all this too. And you got uh, he and Baron Mayer, two scholarship guys, and we just need more competition there, you know, whether it's a – third guy and we might even take two I just think we it's just such a quarterback game right now you know and you look at the Super Bowl you got two guys that played really well at quarterback you know it's hard to beat Mahomes and Hurts you know and even the guys that were playing in the championship games um you know who was it uh Purdy you know who had played really well for the 49ers and then uh Joe Burrow of course so such a quarterback game I just think we got to be a little bit better there. Uh, on some level, it, it almost kind of seemed like Tyler would be excited to have another quarterback come in too, just to have somebody to compete against. I mean, if, if nothing else, that's a reason to continue to want to recruit that position. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Tyler is. Tyler is not afraid of the competition. He I should think, be used to it by Yeah, him. he just uh, – and he'll tell you. You know, he said, Coach, they've been trying to replace me ever since I've been here. You know, and you you appreciate that. And, um, and like I said, I, I appreciate his – his toughness, his competitiveness, I can't say that. I'm going to let you yeah, say that. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, just the fact that, uh, you know, he's honest, you know, with us, um, you know, all those things. And like I said, I just think it's a position, whether it's him, whether it's Barron, or whether it's whoever, we got to be better at that spot. You know, it's just such a game where you got to be good at that position. Well, I like a lot of things you said because I always am leery of a coach It's like – we talked to him Sunday. You know, we got every, every no surprise. We got everybody we wanted, nothing wrong. And I want to look at him and go, well, I think you're probably recruiting the wrong guys. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, Alabama misses on people, sure. right? You know, North Dakota State probably missed on a few people. Yes. And things get flipped, and you, you picked up maybe a couple you weren't expecting. You probably had some you were expecting to go. But that's sort of the, the way of the world. But I'm, I'm always leery when, and you've already kind of addressed that, so I'm not going to make it again. But, yeah, you didn't get maybe everybody was on the target list, but you also got a couple you weren't expecting right. to be on the target list, and that's sort of the game it's played. And now your job, once you know, and we got I think five guys here in the spring. Rest will come in the fall or summer, whatever that's right. going to be, is to try to get them acclimated and get them sure. all to mesh together, right? Yeah, and and we, like I said, there'll be there could be another one that we take from a, a high school kid. You know, we're still waiting on a couple of guys. Um, some of the best I don't players think in ETSU football sign. history were not signed on signing day. They signed late. late. Sure. <laughs> exactly right. You know, and, and like you said, uh, we got some some of those phone calls that, hey, coach, I'm not coming, you know. And it's aggravating because you put a lot of time and effort into trying to get those guys to come here and you de- uh, develop relationships. And then when they say, hey, I'm going to whatever school, you know, it is a little disheartening. Uh, but – it's recruiting, you know, and like I said, it's just part of it, um, you know. But like I said, I'm proud of the ones we got. I'm excited about the ones that decided to be Bucks, And, you know, like you said, just getting everybody to get going on the same page, same direction, getting everybody bought in. That's how we're going to be successful, and that's how we'll get, get this thing turned around. Well, Coach, uh, that's all we got for you today. Tomorrow we're going to talk uh, staffing. Maybe some offensive questions uh, as sure. well as we talk about the staffing. But we'll talk about that. We appreciate you uh, taking the time today. And, uh, uh, you know, great signing class. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thank you. Go Bucks. All right, there we go. That's George Corals. We're going to talk to him. You already heard it. We're talking to him about – 
staffing change? What is the offense going to look like? Some of the coaches, but the big thing, what is the offense going to look like? That's what everybody wants to know. I believe old GQ, as we like to call him here, is going to call the play, so we'll try to get as much information as we can out on him. Don't forget, this is Wednesday, Wofford ETSU, 7 o'clock on the Buccaneers Sports Network. We'll uh, recap that. We'll talk about the weekend's games, ETSU traveling to Sanford, and then we'll also talk a little bit about ETSU women at Chattanooga, and most importantly, George Corals, the new staff, hires, and again, what is the offense going to look like, because that's the number one thing. We also are going to talk to some of those football coaches as we continue to go. We still got to get Khalil Anderson on the podcast, Jalen George, and we got to start talking baseball, softball at some point. That'll be down the road on Jane Key. Buccaneers Network! Oh, you got to be kidding me!